This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money and Markets, where we take a run through of all the big financial and investing news of the past week. I'm Dan from Shares, and with me is Laura from AJ Bell. Hi, so today we're joined by show regular Tom Selby from AJ Bell. Hello. And this week we're going to settle in, get in our time machines and take a journey back through how markets have performed this year. So we're going to have a look at which shares and funds you've been overjoyed to have owned this year and which have left you weeping a little bit. So I've got a feeling the Brexit word is going to be popping up a lot this week. So due to overwhelming popular demand, one person saying they like it, um, <laughs> we're bringing back the Brexit klaxon. So get excited. Can we just hear it? Quickly? Oh, yeah. yeah. A refresher. Inoffensive. Yeah. Subtle. I like it. Um, so, Dan, let's kick off to talk about shares this year. We're 10 years into a bull market and 2018 will probably go down as the year where everything went wrong. <laughs> oh, great. What a lovely positive yeah. tone to start us <laughs> off on. Okay. Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> so the FTSE 100 so far this year is down 7%. Uh, FTSE 250 is down 10, um, 11%. So um, not a particularly good year. But it's a bit confusing, actually, because corporate profits have been doing good. Um, loads of dividends coming from the companies are still being pretty generous. Um, it's just because the FTSE 100 in particular is dominated by three big industries, uh, financials, oil and mining. And all of these have been a bit in a bit of a difficult place. Financials, whilst they've been in a place where interest rates have been rising, which theoretically should be good for banks and the likes. Um, the industry is actually going through some pretty tough competition. Uh, investors don't really seem convinced about the earnings forecasts are going to be very reliable. Um, so mining, oil and gas stuck in this dreaded trade war between um, China and the US and commodity prices have been all over the place. Um, and I think just in general, overseas investors have sort of been looking at the UK um, and thinking, because of Brexit, it's not a place where I want to be. And they haven't really been looking at the individual companies to say, are you actually generating your earnings in the UK or not? They've just been sort of taking a broad brush approach to it. Um, and that sort of just left like, a huge part of um, the market, uh, or people buying shares or and, and funds just been out of the market. So it's, it's been drifting a bit. So you talked a bit about um, FTSE and what, the, what that's been doing. What about global markets? Have they also been a sea of red or have there been some bright spots? Well, of the major markets in the world, two, that's dreaded two have given you a positive return. That's Brazil, uh, which is up about 13%, and in the US, the NASDAQ is up 5%. Otherwise, all of them, you would have lost money if you'd put your money into products that track those indices. Um, give you some examples. In Japan, the Nikkei is down 7% this year. China, the SSE is down 22%. And in Germany, the DAX is down 16%. So yeah, it's, it's a pretty ugly place. Kind of a reminder that if you choose not to put your money into cash and you put it into the stock market to get a higher reward, um, it's very risky. And things don't always go up, they go down. So it's just an unpleasant reminder, but I think it's perhaps overdue. People have had it really a good time for 10 years in the markets. Um, and this year has been a bit of a, a wake up call. So before we all get too depressed, are there bright spots in there? There are definitely companies that have done well in those markets, aren't there? No, absolutely. So looking at the best performing shares amongst the bigger ones on the London Stock Exchange, 
Uh, the top one is Ocado. It's up 100% year to date. That's pretty good. Yeah. I think my only experience with Ocado is ordering from it once. And a nice, smiley, happy man came to the door, <laughs> gave me my shopping and said, thanks very much for becoming our new customer. Here's a free tea towel. And I was like, this is just amazing. <laughs> but I actually never ordered them from since. But um, So as a business, I thought they're pretty good. So Tom, do you, do you shop at Ocado? That, that, well, that, that explains it, doesn't it? It's the tea towels. Um, yeah. I, used to, I used to shop at Ocado, but I've not done online shopping for a while. I do actually have a uh, 30% off voucher, which I picked up when I was in Morecambe the other week. So Very nice. I think they are found in any magazine ever. Yeah, okay. don't feel special, okay. Tom. Yeah. I felt quite special. Oh. So I've, I think I've got until the 13th of January to cash it in so <laughs> I'll make a decision and I'll inform everyone when I've made that decision I think Good. it's pretty I think that a share price might just go up a little bit more after that. <laughs> so, so Cardo has not gone up because it gives out free tea towels um, <laughs> it has gone up because it's got it's trying to roll out its technology um, to different companies around the world that they can use to help build their own online food shopping service. So it's been winning some contracts um, and everyone's been getting excited. Um, so hence why it's done very well. And also up, uh, one of the big rises this year, Pearson, which used to own the Financial Times newspaper, is now best known as an education publishing company um, so that's up 30% this year and everyone hated it for ages because it had loads of profit warnings and things weren't working out um, basically it sold really expensive textbooks and then Amazon came along and said "Ooh, would you like a second-hand marketplace for some of these things uh, and then it got in a bit of trouble but it seems to have reinvented itself as a digital company and um, uh, it's still still sort of early days for its turnaround but it seems to be doing quite well and so what about on the other end of the spectrum in terms of stock-specific stuff? Now you've given us a bright spot, we can go back into the doldrums of what did particularly badly company-wise this year. Standard Life Aberdeen. So this was the merger of two, the Aberdeen and Standard Life um, insurance and asset management businesses. That's down 40%. Um, so it's a big, chunky old business. It's got two CEOs. It's looking a bit bloated. Um, it lost uh, a big mandate for um, Scottish widows in the year. Lloyd's used to be a big shareholder and they dumped their shares. Um, it's kind of like industry rivals have been you know, cutting their fees. And, and I don't know, it, it just looks looks like this big juggernaut. It's very hard to turn around. Um, and then one of the other ones is Fresnillo, which is this Mexican silver and gold miner. Now, you may think that in a difficult year, when all the stock markets are looking a bit weird and strange and losing your money, that gold should be something that's gone <laughs> up in value. Um, but it hasn't. It's not done, well, it's not done particularly well. Mm. And so you think, well, why is, why is Fresnillo sort of um, struggling? And that's more to do with potential changes to the mining laws in Mexico has also um, had some water issues. And again, this is a bit of a reminder that if you buy mining shares, it's not simply just a play on um, some nice shiny metal going up in value. They, they are businesses and um, if things don't go right and they've got regulation and politics in the way, um, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that you have to sort of accept, decide whether to keep your shares or you just move on, do something else. And another of the big fallers this year was WPP, wasn't it? Which is obviously for company-specific reasons. Yeah, so this is the big advertising business. Um, so its chief executive, is Martin Sorrell, has gone. They've got someone new in. Um, and it's, it just looks like uh, you know, they've been gobbling up loads of big companies and now they're going to, like, let's, let, let's sort ourselves out, work out what we want. So they're going through the streamlining process and having to sell things. And um, that's a company very much um, kind of like 
your Boxing Day mega hangover. That's probably <laughs> how I would describe WPP at the moment. A little so. insight into Christmas at the Coatsworth yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited for my invite. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's so, but one of the other things to think about is obviously Brexit. Um, so as... Oh, oh that was very good. We made it quite a long way through without having to use it. <laughs> so we, with with Brexit, that's sort of, it's causing volatility on a daily basis. Um, sterling is hit, uh, I don't know, 20-month tw- low, I think, in December. Um, now, to me, that's it's not good if you own shares in UK sort of focus companies, but you have you flip if you if you go back in time two years ago. So when the referendum vote happened in June 2016, um, after that, sterling fell, and loads of overseas companies started to fish around, going, "Oh, hang on a minute, everything's really cheap in the UK compared to what we would pay if you in our sort of foreign currency." Mm. And we had companies like Arm, um, Berenstain, um, Sky, even had. Um, they're all receiving takeover bids from foreign companies. Um, there's been a few this year. Um, Shire looks like it's finally going to go. But I'm, I'm sort of wondering, are we going to get another phase of this M&A? So if Sterling's down again. Um, there's plenty of really, really good companies in the UK. Um, also, there's plenty of companies that have massive exposure in the US where actually the economy is doing really well. So... Um, not sure our compliance police would let me le- uh, give you some hot tips on the uh, on the podcast. <laughs> but let's just say if you if you do you have a look around, you'll find some um, very large companies with big U.S. operations. And to me, they look. Uh, you, know, you wonder where the market's going to start speculating. Um, will they be owned by someone else over the next year or so? So, Laura, you've been looking from the funds perspective to see what's going on there. So if, if, if you weren't investing in individual company shares and you had funds, investment trusts, um, where could you have made money then in 2018? Yeah, so it will be some solace to uh, investors that are share picking themselves to know that the professionals haven't really had a much better year of it. So out of um, the funds on offer, only 22% have delivered a return above zero. And then when we look at investment trusts, the figure's a bit higher. So it's just over a third of investment trusts have delivered a positive return. So that shows how hard it's been for the professional fund managers to actually get good returns for investors this year. Um, and so UK focused fund managers particularly have obviously been hit hard. So in the UK equity income sector, which is a very popular sector populated by big names like Neil Woodford, uh, Mark Barnett, um, only three of fun- the funds in that sector have actually delivered a return above zero. So this is so equity income is when you, you want to buy a fund and essentially get a nice uh, stream of cash paid in dividends. That's what, that's equity income, isn't it? So you, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, but just investing in the UK sector, those ones are, yeah. Um, and then more broadly, those companies, those funds even investing in UK companies, just seven out of more than 200 funds have returned more than 0%. Mm, going to be tough time for the fund managers when they do uh, sort of tell their bosses, you know, <laughs> how have you done this year? And um, so we'll see who, who's patient or who's um, under pressure. Because I guess, you know, whilst the message from fund managers to retail investors is investing in funds is a long term mm-hmm. game. They themselves are under pressure to perform, aren't they? So um, yeah, exactly. And some fund management companies are more willing to wait out than than others. But obviously, we're talking about a year here, which is a very short period of time. Um, and lots of those fund managers will still be significantly up over kind of five, ten years. But um, you're right that some may be feeling a little hot around the collar, particularly as it's bonus season soon. 
bad time. <laughs> <laughs> but then if we look more specifically at um, kind of the funds that have done well and the funds that have done poorly, the ones that have done well are dominated by US funds, obviously um, driven up by a lot of those FANG stocks that had a slightly trickier last six months of the year, but had a storming first six months. And So this is the, for, for, for those sorry, who don't know, I've so gone into jargon there, fa- FANG is so, <laughs> so, uh, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, uh, Google, else? Google, uh, and then don't know so, someone else, isn't it? So it's yeah. just, just the big US tech stocks, basically. Yeah. Sorry, bad jargon used yeah. there. Um, so yeah, companies that have invested in those or invested in kind of the what's called a kind of growth strategy in the US have done very well this year. Um, so some of those funds have seen returns of kind of twenty, twenty-five percent, um, which you'd be pretty happy with, particularly in a year when the uh, S and P was down. Um, and then elsewhere, you've got lots of kind of biotech, healthcare kind of focused funds have done particularly well, just because that sector is a very high growth sector, um, and it's had a particularly good year this year. And I think, I think if I remember correctly, that they've had a bit of a tough time in the preceding years. So this could be a bit of a bounce back rather than um, you know sudden masses of new drug development. I think and sort of discoveries and stuff. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so then on the flip side of it. Um, Basically, all of the underperforming funds, it's dominated by emerging markets, which have obviously had a um, pretty torrid year. I mean, you talked about China being down 20-odd percent. Um, the, tr- the ongoing trade wars, problems in Argentina and Venezuela with rampant inflation, um, issues like that have really hit emerging market investors this year. So some of those funds are down kind of around 30%, 25%. So, it, it, you know, it's, it's if, you, if you're looking at from... Um the overall year, you know, it's been a tough time, but I guess um, let's hope investors are, are keeping their chins up and being a bit more optimistic for better times ahead. Um, so, Tom, I know you, obviously you you look things from the pension perspective, mm. but of course all our pensions contain these big companies. But what what if you've got quite a few pensions and you're thinking I can't I can't manage to keep looking at all these things? Is there something that's happening to to help? Um, make it easier to sort of monitor how much money you're making or, or, or hope to make in the future? Well, funny you should ask me that, Dan, because there is something that's happening. So um, there's been a, a project that's been uh, ongoing um, with the government. So it started off in the Treasury, moved over to the DWP, called the Pensions Dashboard or Pensions Dashboards Project. Now, in simple terms, I think if we the easiest way to explain it is to look at the history of pensions and the problem that now exists so I mean, pe- if it's a short history it's so it's so short i promise it's short and fascinating i promise you so <laughs> okay. people used to have what was called defined benefit pensions so those were guaranteed pensions that would pay you an income for life from a set age and usually people would only work for one or two people nowadays people have an average about 11 different jobs throughout their career and they build up defined contribution pots as they go through now the issue with that is if you've got 11 different jobs you might end up with 11 different pensions or even more than that if you've got more jobs throughout your career. If you've got 11 different pensions with 11 different pension providers, it's very difficult to know exactly what you've got. People don't keep track of the funds. Quite a lot of people lose their funds. So the DWP estimates that there'll be about 50 million dormant pension pots, so pots where people don't really know what's going on with them by about 2050. And the problem with that is then people either end up retiring, not realising they've got some money left over, so they've got lost pension pots, or they end up making the wrong decisions. They don't amalgamate their funds with a cheaper provider. And as a result, they end up with a suboptimal 
outcome, essentially. So what the government is looking to do, rather than, so there, were, there was an idea to try to allow people to kind of automatically merge those funds, but the government decided not to do that. What it wants to do is create something called a pension dashboard or pension dashboards, where you can see all of your pensions in one place. And there's a big caveat in there. Eventually, they want to let you see all of your pensions in one place. How long is that going to take, do you reckon? Very, very good question. So um, I was at an event a couple of weeks ago where they were talking through exactly what was going to um, happen in the initial phase, given all the stuff going on at the moment with the B word. There isn't a huge amount of time for them to get stuff through. So there was a lot, pre- lot of pressure on the uh, the government to introduce legislation to force every scheme to do this, because this is going to cost all of the schemes that exist that need to provide the data so that anyone can see the pensions in one place. It's going to cost them money. And a lot of people won't want to do it. A lot of the forward thinking schemes will want to do it. But a lot of the older schemes might not want to do it. Certainly a lot of the old defined benefit schemes might not want to do it because there's a cost involved in providing the data to the pensions dashboard so people can see it. So It'll, it'll be good news. This is a good development. It means that it's the start of a process which will mean people will hopefully be able to see all their pensions in one place, which I think is a good thing. If you speak to most normal people on the street about this, that's something that they want and they can see value in. But we're not go- the, the initial version of the, of the dashboard, which will be available, should be available at the end of 2019, all things um, all things being equal, and uh, will be run by the single financial guidance body, which is an arm of government. So that'll be something that anyone can access. That will be on a voluntary basis. Um, so you'll be able to see some stuff on there. You should be able to see the state pension on there, but there's going to have to be loads of caveats and things around it. And that's one of my concerns about this, this is that you're going to create something which is supposed to show people all of their pensions. But in reality, to answer your initial question, it's going to take three or four years before you've got something that shows everybody's pensions in one place. And there's, there's, people aren't going to be charged for this, are no, they? No, no, no. So, so you, won't be, you won't be charged for it, although providers will have to pay a levy to make this happen. So it's possible that, that the cost of that levy will feed through to people's charges in the long run, most likely in terms of no, uh, uh, you, you won't get, you, 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 providers probably won't, rack up charges as a result of this, but they probably won't reduce them as quickly as they would have done, so they'll have to absorb the cost of, uh, of building this thing on behalf of on behalf of the government. And it also, it, it's not going to let you transact. So if you go on a normal platform, then you're able to buy and sell shares and you can combine everything into one place. This will just be something where you can view everything and then you can see everything in that one place and you can make a decision as to whether you want to keep it all where it is at the moment in all the different schemes you've got, or perhaps if you want to put it all in one place, which can be a good thing to do if you want to be able to see it and manage it better. And also you can often benefit from lower charges and things like that as well. So do you think that it would ultimately get to the point where you could transact on it a bit like you do with a bank account? Um, see, I think I think it's quite unlikely because then you'd be you would they would they would be effectively be entering into a into a market. So there's already a market for platforms that exist that do that. And usually, usually for a government to intervene in a market, it has to have see serious problems in relation to competition and all the rest of it. I think all the companies who had set up to do that and invested huge amounts of money would probably not be particularly happy if all of a sudden the government came in taxpayer funded and set up something to do what they're doing on a private private basis so i think that's quite unlikely um what the government has said and given that the ambition is three to four years to get to a point where all pensions are on there i think we're talking long long term but they have said that they're interested in the idea of getting other financial products on there so clearly people nowadays especially post pension freedoms don't really think of you don't really think of your pension in isolation or your mortgage in isolation or your ISA it's a all just a load of different vehicles that you have to house your money for 
different purposes. So you'll have a, a cash ISA for your short-term stuff. You might have a lifetime ISA if you're saving for a first home. Then you'll have the pension for the longer-term stuff and all the rest of it. So it would make sense if you're going to get to the point where you can see all your pensions in one place, why not have something where you can see all your ISAs and all your other financial products in one place as well? So I think that's the logical place that it would go to. But I think we're talking you know, five, maybe 10 years down the line before we get to that stage. But with the, with the banking sector's already mm. doing stuff, isn't it? So so there are some providers that where you can look at, say you've got a, a credit card, a mm. loan in your bank account. Uh, you can look at that all in one place. But it, even that seems to be quite slow to, to roll out across the industry. Um, I mean, I remember it's almost a year ago since I was, we were talking about this in the office, um, expecting 2018 yeah. to see loads of them, but they've not not really happened. But, yeah, and the, and the uh, pensions industry is paying, playing catch up very much with, um, with banking apps and things like that. And I think it's a good thing the fact that you know the likes of um, Monzo and Moneybox and all these types of financial apps have come to market and have really I think pushed some of the kind of certainly some of the older you know, big insurers and things like that to think about the the way they communicate with people and the types of technology they offer and things like that and it's obviously pushed the government as well to start thinking how do you get this kind of technology in place for people's savings because ultimately you know a bank account clearly you can access it all the time a pension you can't get at until 55 but essentially it is your money and why not have something which allows you to see it all at an instant and move your funds around as, as well at an instant and that's what the, the industry should be aiming for so as we get to near the end of the year and everyone's feeling the pinch of christmas Dan has a great way of saving money that he wants to share with all of us. This is pretty good, I must admit. And I think it's quite important to end on a happier note because we've had had some doom and gloom in this week's podcast. But um, So I'm in the middle of this thing called the 1P Savings Challenge. Um, I've done this before a couple of years ago, but um, it, it came about, I had... Um, I bought a pair of shoes and I had this empty shoe box and, it, and it's triggered something that I remember reading um, online a few years ago where if you save 1p and the next day you save another penny. So first day is 1p, second day 2p, third day 3p. So you can see the pattern. So each day you're adding another 1, 1p. At the end of a year, you will have saved Six hundred and sixty-eight pounds, which, wow. which which is quite exciting. Good. Yeah, so so it, it, I thought it was a bit of fun, so I did it with my kids, and we sort of put a little hole in the shoebox um, and did it. And so at, at the end of that twelve months, um, luckily I'd started it in summer, so we used it sort of to fund. Um, you know, there's annoying days where your kids are going, oh, "Can we do this? Can we do that?" and stuff. Um, can we go? Can we go kayaking? Or, or um, no, they don't really say things like that. But, um, <laughs> Can, can, we, can we do can we do some cool stuff and like actually yeah I can fund it out of this this savings box or you know I guess you could do it if you if you want to buy your two favourite funds or mm. something like that or, or I don't know Laura what would you do with six hundred and sixty eight quid <laughs> on the spot <laughs> on the spot my answer to everything any spending is always go on holiday knew it yeah so I reckon you could you could definitely you could definitely go on holiday yeah. for that. Right? So, I'm a fan of a mini break. You could do a mini break. So this is this is um, I, I sort of challenge all all our listeners to have a go at doing this. Um, the only thing I'm saying is that when you get towards the end, it gets really difficult because you're, you're having to save like three more than three pounds every single day in the last few months. Um, you, you start off, you're thinking, okay, well, I, I bought a chocolate bar and I've got like ten p left. You, could, you know, chuck that in the box. It's that's kind of easy. But when you suddenly thinking. Oh, I've got 10 quid. That's only three days, um, you know, three lots of um, three quids and, and then a little bit towards the next day. Uh, it soon goes. So what I, I'm sort of cheating the system. So every month I'll sort of put a bit of money into the box. I'm a bit of a head of where I'm should be. <laughs> You're in, gaming your in own system. In the system. <laughs> but, You're only cheating um, yourself, damn. That's how I've done it. But I, I have read other people who say, 
um, for example, let's get they go they buy a sandwich and they've got um, three pounds thirty seven left for us change. So you find you look at your your sort of system and find which day it is over the next twelve months where that single day is. That's what you have to save. So you you, you put it in the box and tick it off. Um, oh, so that's a different that's way smart. of doing it. Um, if you only get halfway through it and you think. Um, Oh, let's say I've got something, got to fix my car. Um, you can dip into this money and you could say, even though you haven't finished the challenge, well, actually, at the, at the start of that period, you didn't have that money and yeah. you, you have gone and saved it. So it's a, it's a bit, I think it's a bit of fun. And you know, if you do it between your friends, it's a bit of competitive stuff. So, um, so Laura and Tom, I expect to see shoeboxes on your desks tomorrow morning. <laughs> so, okay, on a big shoebox. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot for listening this week. As ever, if you have any suggestions for future topics, appreciation for the Brexit klaxon, or general comments, then email podcast at ajbell.co.uk. Dan loves to read all of your emails. See you next week. See ya. Bye. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. The podcast talks about various money issues. Just don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. You should also recognise that how an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future and that tax rules apply. Music